Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Award. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We are doing this. We are back. Numero trace. Number three. Part three. I know. I'm sorry. I basically <laughs> failed Spanish. Languages are not my forte. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> okay that was bad um i will not be trying again i will leave that to everyone else who can do so much better but the main thing is we are back for part three of our atonement series which is super exciting yes i was just like reminiscing on part two this morning and looking over some of our notes and i was like this is so good this is so good and i can't believe we're about to do more i don't know i feel like the last few weeks of like researching more and like preparing for each recording session has been like what I needed not just like spiritually what I needed but like mentally it's like Mm -hmm. put my brain in a better headspace so it's been very very helpful to be doing this I feel like I finally like started like pushing the curtains open so like I can see some sunlight in my life now and so I I don't I'm still working on how I'm applying it in mm-hmm. my life, but I feel that it, I, I can feel that it's there. I feel more warmth and more light and a little bit more hope in my life, which is definitely something I needed without realizing it because honestly, who couldn't use more light and more hope in their life? Yes. And then we hope everyone enjoyed uh, part one and part two of our atonement series as well. We've had a lot of fun doing our research and we hope that everyone's learned something new, um, that it's, you know, helping to strengthen every facet of your life because this is really good stuff and it's very uplifting and we do need to find that joy in our lives and we can find that through the atonement. So as we may all remember from last week, we did discuss two of the major powers that come from the atonement, and that's the strengthening and enabling power. And now today we're going to be talking about the redemptive power. So we discuss grace in particular, as well as how we have countless examples in the scriptures about the atonement and how it affects our lives. We know that we could do an entire podcast, like entire podcast just about the atonement. There's so much, but we have, uh, you know, cut it down to four sections, um, but none of this by any means signifies any lack of importance about the atonement. I mean, and it's entirely possible that this is a series that we can keep resurrecting. Yes. Because there is so much to talk about in the atonement. That is very true. Honestly, and I mean, in a way, everything that we do talk about does come back to the atonement. Um, so in a way, it kind of works. All right. So I do want to start us off with an incredible quote by Elder J. Devin Cornish and the April 2002 conference in his talk titled Learning How the Atonement Can Change You. So he says, the basic concept of why we need an atonement may be summarized fairly simply. You and I lived before this life in a celestial home with our heavenly parents. We came to this earth to obtain a physical body and to learn and grow by our own experiences. We also came to be proven to see whether we would obey all of God's commandments. However, we are unclean, for we disobey to some extent the commandments of God. Therefore, that which we desire most in life, to return to our heavenly home, is denied us, for no unclean thing can dwell in his presence. There is, however, a remedy. In his love and mercy, God our Father has accepted the offer of his perfect Son to suffer for our sins, that we might not suffer if we would repent. We may thus be rendered clean without guilt before God and welcomed back into his presence. 
It's just so good. I just really like it. And it's a reminder of the purpose that we have. So not only is the, the atonement is there for us for a reason, it's to also remind us why we're here in the first place. To remind us that we're on this earth to do something and that there is hope for us to achieve that. Yeah. And I think it also brings us perfectly into like the beginning part of our episode because we're talking about the redemptive power of the atonement we are going to go more in depth into where the redemptive power of the atonement comes from by using you know like we've mentioned talks books and scriptural examples of this power at work we want to focus initially by talking about where the idea of the atonement all came from originally not because obviously Kaylee and I didn't come up with the atonement, but it is truly an eternal gift from our Heavenly Father. So we wanted to start out with this quote from the 2018 Liahona, which is by President Thomas S. Monson, when he said, One of God's greatest gifts to us is the joy of trying again, for no failure ever need to be final. So this is that perfect reminder that the atonement allows us to fail and try again, and to eventually be redeemed in the eyes of God, and that we are able to make these mistakes and try again and again because we have the gift of agency. And so we want to start out this whole episode by talking to you about the gift of agency. All right, diving into agency. Agency, as defined by LDS.org's Guide to the Scriptures, is the ability and privilege God gives people to choose and to act for themselves. So if you remember way back to episode four, one of my favorites, Ghosts in the Spirit World, we gave a very watered down explanation of the plan of salvation. So basically God's plan was to send everyone to earth, allow them to have a body, endure trials and temptations, be assisted with the Savior who would suffer and die for them, enabling them to return to live with God again. The ability to choose and act for yourself was central to this plan. Satan wanted to nix agency and make everyone choose good no matter what. But if we were all forced to choose good, then how would we learn and measure to the stature of Jesus? It would be impossible. God knew that we needed to be free to make our own choices based on our life experiences, knowledge, upbringing, and faith. He trusted us to choose the right and to want to be with him forever. So he sent Christ as a savior to suffer and die for our sins, afflictions, and more to give us that access card to life with God once again. Let's talk about Adam and Eve, because this is the part of the plan of salvation that everyone likes to argue about in Christianity. Yes, so much debate. As we learn from 2 Nephi chapter 2, Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden with the tree of knowledge of good and evil before them. They were commanded not to partake of the fruit. Why is that? Because if they did, they would die. As we know, they were tempted to partake because they would gain knowledge. They would gain the knowledge of good and evil, which is essentially the knowledge that God has. It would be the knowledge that, quote, there is an opposition in all things. If not so, righteousness could not be brought to pass. Neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad, end quote. And that's from 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 11. So we believe in this church that the choice to partake of the fruit was necessary for life to occur. If they hadn't partaken of the fruit, they would still be in the Garden of Eden, just living their best lives happily with God forever. We would not exist, and the plan of God would have been frustrated entirely. However, because they chose to partake of the fruit, Adam and Eve 
had to be punished for committing that sin. So they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They were physically distanced from the presence of God, just like all of us are on a daily basis. They had to learn how to walk by faith, how to learn the gospel, and how to choose to follow the Savior. But all is not lost just because they sinned. This is the part that's debated the most in Christianity. As we learn in 2 Nephi 25, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. We will not be punished for their sin. It's not our law in life to suffer unnecessarily because someone hundreds of thousands of years ago decided to eat fruit that they were told not to eat. That's why we have the Savior. So in verses 26 and 27, we read, quote, And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon, save it be by the punishment of the law at the great and last day, according to the commandments which God hath given. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. Because of the atonement, we have the opportunity to choose for ourselves what we want to do in this life. We can choose to sin, we can choose to repent, we can choose to listen, obey, ignore, or anything else in between. Because of the atonement, we all have a chance to learn, repent, and become like Christ without the weight of their sin or the sins of others around us heaped onto us. Every action we make, we are accountable for. But if Kaylee made a choice, I'm not accountable for her choice. That's on her. My mistakes are my own, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I really love about our viewpoint on agency within our church, and I mean, I feel like this, is, this has been slowly changing and softening, but mistakes are necessary to make. Like, we cannot go without making mistakes in this lifetime. So while we're going to sin, we're going to mess up, we don't need to punish ourselves for it. We just need to pick ourselves up and say, hey, yes, this did happen. And now I know what happened. I know what I can do better now. And like, that's where the atonement comes into play. It took me years to really grasp this, grasp this. And it has made such a difference in my life. It's so important. I am so glad that we have this gift because we can truly only grow from our mistakes. We don't grow if we're successful forever. Well, then really at that point, is it really success or is it really growth when we're just doing things because we have to be doing things because that's the only way to do things? It's just a thought. Um, okay, but moving on to a wonderful talk given by Elder C. Scott Grow in April 2011, his talk titled The Miracle of the Atonement. He said, The Messiah came to redeem men from the fall of Adam. Everything in the gospel of Jesus Christ points toward the atoning sacrifice of the Messiah, the Son of God. The plan of salvation could not be brought about without an atonement. Therefore, God himself atoneth for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God and a merciful God also. The atoning sacrifice had to be carried out by the sinless Son of God, for fallen man could not atone for his own sins. The atonement had to be infinite and eternal to cover all men throughout all eternity. Through his suffering and death, the Savior atoned for the sins of all men. 
I love it. So you can clearly see there how the atonement and our agency to choose to repent were tied together in God's plan. This is all intentional. Mm -hmm. The only problem with that, and one thing that is difficult often for us to accept and understand, is that having the right to choose our choices does not mean that we get to choose our consequences. We can choose what to say, we can choose what to do, we can choose how to act, but we can't decide what happens after that. Things are just going to keep going as they are, and that's something that we have to learn. However, on the bright side, when it does come to the atonement, when it does come to our only parents, we are fortunately never so far gone as to where we cannot turn around and try again to follow that straight and narrow path that has been set for us. The atonement has already taken place. Like, Christ has already suffered. The atonement is eternal. It is infinite. So as long as we are willing to do that one action of turning around to repent, then we have a chance to use it and apply it to our lives. I love that. That's so true. The more I read about the atonement and the more I study it, the more I realize that the best use of our agency is choosing to repent and choosing to follow the Savior. Because like we talked about in our episode about submitting your will to the Lord, our will is the only thing that we can give the Lord. Everything else is already given us first. So when we are choosing to give up whatever the rest of the world is telling us to do in favor of doing what the Lord wants us to do, we are really giving him the only thing that he can't actively take from us. And I think that's amazing. It is. I love it. So there's another good quote from Elder C. Scott Grove in his talk, The Miracle of the Atonement, where he says, Not only did he pay the price for the sins of all men, but he also took upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. And he took upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy, that he may know, according to the flesh, how to succor his people according to their infirmities. The Savior felt the weight of the anguish of all mankind, the anguish of sin and sorrow. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Through his atonement, he heals not only the transgressor, but he also heals the innocent who suffer because of those transgressions. As the innocent exercise faith in the Savior and in his atonement and forgive the transgressor, they too can be healed. I've always hated and sympathized with the question on why bad things happen to good people. Because you want to say, hey, of course, if you're going to be a good person, then you should have good things happen because you clearly deserve them. And yes, I do wish that's how life was. Fortunately, no, there, there's no way to say that, right? Um, Fortunately and unfortunately, bad things have to happen. Right, exactly. Because we do have our agency, people are not always going to use that in their best interest and will do use that to hurt people, whether or not it is deserved, which I mean, really, it's never deserved. No one deserves to be hurt, to be put into pain or sorrow. But there is still hope in that. Christ did what he did for everyone, no matter what happens to us. The pain that we feel is valid, whether we've caused it ourselves or if someone caused that to us. Our pain is valid, but it does not need to be eternal. We have the atonement to help us recover from that. That leads us right into redemption. What does redemption mean? We do need to be able to <laughs> define this. So from the Bible dictionary under redeem, redeemed and redemption, it says to deliver, to purchase, or to ransom, such as free a person from bondage by payment, 
Redemption refers to the atonement of Jesus Christ and to deliverance from sin. Jesus' atonement redeems all mankind from physical death. Through his atonement, those who have faith in him and who repent are also redeemed from spiritual death. So I wrote down this note in our episode notes because I kind of had a like awakening moment when I was reading this. Kaylee loves analogies, so I came up with an analogy for her. I love it. <laughs> it's beautiful. So think about a voucher or a coupon as a physical representation of redemption. So a coupon is valid to use with a purchase, but it requires your effort of remembering the coupon, bringing it to the store, and using it at checkout to access the discount provided on the coupon. If you don't use the coupon, you don't get the discount. Similarly, if you don't use the atonement, meaning if you don't repent and rely on the Savior's assistance, you will never be cleansed from your sins, and you will never be truly redeemed from spiritual death. It all requires action on your part. So yes, Christ's atonement is a free gift for all. That is true. And one day, we will all break the bonds of physical death by partaking in the resurrection. But our spiritual death and our spiritual resurrection wholly depends on our willingness to use the gift of the atonement and repent. It fully depends, like everybody got that free coupon that says one free resurrection, like everyone gets it, but we have a second coupon that everyone gets as well that says free redemption, free spiritual resurrection, free spiritual rebirth, but it takes effort on our part of turning that in to access that free gift with purchase. So. If we want to be able to use the coupon, if we want to be able to be completely cleansed of our sins, we have to repent and we have to rely on the gift of the atonement. Exactly. I love that. That was beautiful. Well done. It's a very good analogy. <laughs> um, it just helps to really put it into perspective. Like, yes, it is a free gift, but we still need to consider what we do with it. We still have to put in the legwork. We can't just hope that everything will be fine just because the savior atoned for us no we have to still do work right exactly it's yeah exactly like when you're at disney and you want a fast pass you have to actively ask and get that fast pass to use it it's there if you want it but you got to go for it so elder d todd christopherson shares several great points in his 2013 conference talk titled redemption and he explains that the word redeem means to pay off an obligation or a debt Redeem can also mean to rescue or set free as by paying a ransom. If someone makes a mistake and then corrects it or makes amends, we say he has redeemed himself. Each of these meanings suggests different facets of the great redemption accomplished by Jesus Christ through his atonement, which includes, in the words of the dictionary, to deliver from sin and its penalties as by a sacrifice made for the sinner. So repentance involves admitting and forsaking your sins to acknowledge you did something wrong and want to fix it, asking another person for forgiveness or seeking retribution, turning away from the sin entirely so you commit to never return to it again, and asking the Lord for forgiveness. It is a process. It requires more than one step. If we want that redemption, we need to be actively engaging in the repentance process. So Elder Christopherson continues saying, the Savior's suffering in Gethsemane and his agony on the cross redeem us from sin by satisfying the demands that justice has upon us. He extends mercy and pardons those who repent. 
The atonement also satisfies the debt justice owes to us by healing and compensating us for any suffering we innocently endure. I really like that. I really like that it's twofold. Like he extends mercy to those who are repenting, and then he also extends healing and compensation to people who suffer because of someone else's bad choices. Yes. So mm-hmm. like back to my joke of oh Kaylee made a choice the sin is not on me her choice could still like negatively impact me somehow like her choice could potentially hurt me and by her deciding to repent or to not repent you know whatever it is I will still be blessed with healing and mercy for innocently suffering anything that Kaylee might have caused and so that applies to everyone with the atonement so like as soon as Kaylee decides to repent, that mercy and that pardon comes to Kaylee. It's not contingent upon anything else because she has made the decision to repent and take that step. And it's not contingent upon me forgiving her. Like, she's going to get it regardless, just like I'm going to get the healing regardless. And so I just love that Elder Christofferson explains how it is twofold and that it's not dependent on anything other than our choices to follow the Savior and to ask the Savior for help. All right. So as we have now begun to understand what redemption is, we need to consider what the redeeming power of the atonement really is. All right. So continuing with Elder Christofferson, he said that the Savior's redemption has two parts. So first, it atones for Adam's transgression and the consequent fall of man by overcoming what could be called the direct effects of the fall, which is physical death and spiritual death. Physical death is well understood. Spiritual death is a separation of man from God. In the words of Paul, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So this redemption from physical and spiritual death is both universal and without condition. The second aspect of the Savior's atonement is redemption from what may be termed the indirect consequences of the fall. So our own sins as opposed to Adam's transgression. By virtue of the fall, we are born into a mortal world where sin, that is disobedience to divinely instituted law, is pervasive. Because we are accountable and we make the choices, the redemption from our own sins is conditional upon repentance. Yeah, so we don't have to pay the price for other people's sins, like Adam and Eve's fall. That is already covered. That's the first part that we've discussed. The second part then is conditional upon our exercise of our agency and choosing to repent of our sins. So if you remember from last week's episode where we quoted Elder Bednar and his article, The Atonement and the Journey of Mortality, that explained how the atonement is meant to help people go from bad to good to better to best. The redemptive power of the atonement focuses on getting people from bad to good to better. It allows us to remove the effects of our own sins while not having to pay the price of sins committed by other people in our family history. The sins of our ancestors are not upon us. We are not accountable for what they've done. Yeah. So now we wanted to move into scriptural examples of the redemptive power of the atonement because like we discussed last week with the strengthening and enabling power of the atonement, These scriptural examples are so important because they give us a chance to see how we can learn from those who have come before us, and we can see better and clearer connections in the scriptures as we're reading them, so that we recognize these powers as we read them in our personal study. 
the Book of Mormon, as we know, was written for our time. We are meant to study the actions and the consequences to see how we can not only better access the power of the atonement, but also become who we are meant to become through the atonement. And so we're going to start out by talking about Alma and the sons of Mosiah as our first example, because if we're going to talk any example of redemptive power of the atonement, we have to start with the biggest and brightest example in the Book of Mormon. And this can be found in Mosiah chapter 27, verses 8 through 34, and then Alma chapter 36. As you may remember, Alma and the sons of Mosiah, who are Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni, they were the vilest of sinners. They were sons of Alma the older, who was converted by Abinadi, and Mosiah, who was the son of King Benjamin. And they spent their days just wilding out. They were roaming around the countryside, sinning, speaking very ill of the gospel, and convincing as many people possible to avoid the church and to not believe in Christ. One day, while they were running wild, they were stopped by an angel who said, Why persecutest thou the church of God? For the Lord hath said, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it, save it is transgression of my people. And with that, they were all knocked unconscious, and they were all remembering their sins and their misdeeds. The sons of Mosiah quickly recovered, and they are commanded by the angel to bring Alma back to Mosiah and to Alma the Older to tell them all what happened. I think it's usually Alma the Elder. Is I like older. Alma the Older. I love, no, I love it. I just, I don't think I've heard that one before. And I'm just imagining like a more grumpy version of a prophet who's just like, ah, kids. That's, that's exactly how he is. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Anyways, so Alma the Younger remains unconscious and he is being completely reminded of every bad thing that he's ever done in his life. After two days and two nights, Alma regains consciousness and testifies of how he has been born again of God and redeemed of his sins. Now, let's go a little further. In Alma 36, we learn from Alma the Younger directly. It's his testimony to his son Helaman. We learn how this whole thing happened. He says in verses 12 through 15, I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities, for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body, that I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. So then, after expressing the horrors that he felt, while remembering all of his sins, he expresses his joy upon remembering the teachings of his father, Alma, and about the coming of Jesus Christ. He says in verses 19 through 21, And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. I say unto you that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again, I say unto you that on the other hand, there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. That is so beautiful. I love it. I love it. Just the two, the stark contrast between the two I love. 
So then, as we know from the scriptures, Alma spent the rest of his life, from literally that moment on, preaching the gospel. He knew that he had sinned, and he had led so many people down a dark and dangerous path because of his stupidity in his youth. And he spent the rest of his life in the service of God trying to fix that. So not only did Alma completely change his life, but he devoted it to God and serving mankind so that they would never have to experience the anguish of spirit that he experienced. And this is such a clear example of repentance and the redemptive power of the atonement because as he repented, he completely turned away from the former life that he was living and he chose to live a new life with Christ. And by doing so, he was never tempted to go back. He he never even thought or considered going back to the life that he was previously living because he knew that if he did so, he would be breaking covenants with God and he would be ruining his spiritual life. Seeing that Alma the Younger and the Sons of Mosiah could be redeemed from such a horrible life is such an important story to see and to recognize that the atonement covers all and it covers everyone no matter how far gone you are no matter how bad you may think you have sinned no matter what you may have done in your life the atonement covers everything and everyone has a chance to repent and start over with christ exactly it's just, it's it's beautiful and i mean we could try to do this on our own but we wouldn't be able to accomplish it we can try to do better but the only way to complete the process is through that redeeming power it's amazing and that's one of the best examples that i've ever seen or read in my life to see what a drastic change we can make our own, in our own lives to come closer to christ i mean not everyone will have to make such a drastic change um, not all of us will have to know all of that pain at one point or another, thank goodness, but we do all have that chance at joy. Yeah. I think the next best example is the next one that we have, which is yes. Ammonites, also known as the Anti-Nephi-Lehites. So as a follow-up from the first account with Alma and the Sons of Mosiah, um, we're going to talk about the Ammonites or the Anti-Nephi-Lehites and how they experienced the redemptive power of the atonement. So like Alma the Younger, from pretty much that moment on, the sons of Mosiah chose to do the exact same thing that Alma the Younger chose to do. They all chose to turn away from the life they had previously been living and to go forth and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Lamanites. Exactly. They were, and they were so dedicated, which I've always found interesting in this one, in their story specifically, is they were so dedicated to being missionaries and spreading the gospel. They, like, King Mosiah was like, one of you, I have four sons, clearly one of them can take the throne now. And they're like, nope, not one of us is going to take it now. Even though we've definitely become the person, the people you wanted us to become, but because we have become those people, we can't take that throne. We have to go teach other people now. Yeah, it's incredible. So in Alma chapters 22 and 23, we learn of Ammon going to teach the people of King Lamoni. Um, if you remember, like the whole story. You, there's there's chopped arms. So I think it's like one of everyone's favorites. <laughs> well, that's the first Lamoni. The other Lamoni is the one. Yes. Is this one. That's true. So Lamoni, the first Lamoni that we read about is the arm-chopping heroics of Ammon. The second Lamoni, who is the king of these people, is his father, 
who they meet as they're traveling. King Lamoni, the older. I'm saying the older again. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I support this. And King Lamoni, the older, is like, um, why are you with a Nephite? First of all, we don't do that here. Let's fight. Let's kill. This is not okay. And tries to square up with Ammon, and Ammon's like, LOL, that's cute. And like... <laughs> throws him on the ground and basically threatens his life too it's great pretty much yeah so then because of that whole experience ammon teaches lamoni his whole family and the entire kingdom that he serves um about the gospel and all of them are converted every single one of them it's incredible so in alma 24 these former lamanites are like listen we don't want to be known as Lamanites anymore because Lamanites have a bloody, murderous, horrible, evil history, and we want to leave that behind. So we would like to be called by another name. And so they choose to be called the people of Ammon, which would be an Ammonite, um, but they also chose the name Anti-Nephi-Lehites, so that way they could always have remembrance of Nephi and Lehi, like where their bloodline truly came from. And so at this time they recognize that because they have such a horrible, sinful, bloody reputation with their name, that they need to do something physically to show their inward commitment to follow the Savior. So in Alma chapter 24, verse 17, they choose to bury their weapons of war deep into the earth as a way of fully repenting of their sins. They knew that if they ever took up arms again to fight or battle, they would be breaking the covenants that they had made with God and that their repentance would have been for nothing. And they knew that because this was such a temptation for them, that if they even had them around, they would be tempted to take up arms again and just start slaughtering people. It was just so ingrained in them. And so they made that decision to get rid of every form of temptation possible. And so Elder Scott says in his same talk from 2013 General Conference, he says, It is a fundamental truth that through the atonement of Jesus Christ we can be cleansed. We can become virtuous and pure. However, sometimes our poor choices leave us with long-term consequences. One of the vital steps to complete repentance is to bear the short and long-term consequences of our past sins. Their past choices had exposed these Ammonite fathers to a carnal appetite that could again become a point of vulnerability that Satan would attempt to exploit. Satan will try to use our memory of any previous guilt to lure us back into his influence. We must be ever vigilant to avoid his enticements. Such was the case of the faithful Ammonite fathers. Even after their years of faithful living, it was imperative for them to protect themselves spiritually from any attraction to the memory of their past sins. So their choice to bury the very things that would tempt them in the future was an act of their faith and their diligence in keeping the commandments. And then years later, we learn in Alma chapter 53 that the Ammonites are considering taking up arms again because they want to defend their families. They want to defend their religion, their freedom, everything that they've built. But they are stopped by their sons who remember what their mothers taught them of the gospel and their father's conversion. And they decide that they will take up arms because they didn't want their fathers to break their covenant. The older generation did everything possible to forsake their sins. And because they did that, 
they were blessed by a strong younger generation who were able to help them and to enable them to maintain that covenant. So beautiful. And I mean, I know we love to concentrate on the power of the of the sons of Helaman. That's like one of the other big stories that everyone loves to share. But we need to remember why they were why they chose to do that in the first place because of the the example that their parents set for them, their commitment to their their covenants to to the savior. It's so powerful. It's amazing. Um, so we know that the repentance process and the redemptive power itself can sound and feel so intimidating in our lives, especially when we are struggling. And it's hard to imagine sometimes aspects of the atonement as we look into eternity, for example, we can't imagine what heaven is really like. And we can't know the, the pain and the agony that so many go through that Christ has suffered for us. This lack of knowledge, however, is not meant to make us weak. It's an opportunity for us to be humble and to learn how to listen to the right voice, how to come to our heavenly parents, to learn from them, to understand, and to draw near unto them. So we wanted to highlight four takeaways um, that we feel that we've been learning throughout this process of understanding the power of the atonement. So the first one is that our humility draws us closer to Christ with his mercy. And I'd like to dive into this a little bit deeper by explaining, um, by sharing a quote by Elder Richard G. Scott from the October 2013 conference, his talk titled Personal Strength Through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. And he said, the joyful news for anyone who desires to be rid of the consequences of past poor choices is that the Lord sees weaknesses differently than he sees rebellion. Whereas the Lord warns that unrepented rebellion will bring punishment, when the Lord speaks of weaknesses, it is always with mercy. I had not considered that differentiation before, and I really like it because we tend to lump all sins together into one. But that's not necessarily the case. There are sins that we make. There's going to be weaknesses versus rebellion, as Elder Scott puts in right here. And I think that's really important for us to consider for ourselves, um, the actions that we are taking and whether or not we really are trying to learn from our mistakes. The redemptive power of the atonement is incredible and we should treat it in a like manner. So when we want to do our best and make the atonement a focus in our lives, then we can see about working harder to do our best. And as we work on that process, as even as we make mistakes, we're still learning, we're still progressing. And when we do all that, we can become more Christ-like, which is what we're meant to do in this lifetime. Another quote from Elder Groh's talk, The Miracle of the Atonement, he says that when we sin, Satan tells us we are lost. In contrast, our Redeemer offers redemption to all, no matter what we have done wrong, even to you and to me. As you consider your own life, are there things that you need to change? Have you made mistakes that still need to be corrected? If you are suffering from feelings of guilt or remorse, bitterness or anger or loss of faith, I invite you to seek relief. Repent and forsake your sins. Then in prayer, ask God for forgiveness. Seek forgiveness from those you have wronged. Forgive those who have wronged you. Forgive yourself. Go to the bishop if necessary. Immerse yourself in prayer and scripture study. As you do so, you will feel the sanctifying influence of the Spirit. The Savior said, Sanctify yourselves, yea, purify your hearts, and cleanse your hands before me that I may make you clean. I really love this quote because, I mean, I love all this. It's so important for us to acknowledge our own weaknesses, our own faults, 
because the better that we can understand that, the better, the more that we are humble, the more we can begin to see a more clear path that will lead us to Christ. We're going to have a lot harder time seeing the mercy through the justice if we are concentrating on our failures and everything that has gone wrong. But it's through the Savior that we can become clean. And we can do that when we are becoming Christ-like. And to do that, we need to be humble. So our second takeaway is the atonement is meant for us all. So no matter how much damage we cause, no matter how much time we take away from our heavenly parents, the atonement is meant for each and every one of us. So consider the parable of those who were working in a vineyard. Some people came early in the day and they were promised a certain wage, like we'll say like three or five dollars. They were offered five dollars for the day. And then others came at like noon, others came at three, and they were offered the same wage of three to five dollars for the day's work. Everyone will have their fair share of the atonement. We already do. That's already been taken care of for us. It's all encompassing. So in the April 2004 Ensign, Elder J. Devin Cornish shared three points that we tend to mix up when studying the atonement. And the first one is that some have a difficult time accepting in their hearts that when the Lord says all, he means them too. They seem to say themselves, I believe that Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind, but what I have done is so terrible or so repeated that I don't think the atonement will work for me. Some who are faithful members of the church actually seem to believe that they will never make it back to Heavenly Father's presence. It's the idea that Christ can save all mankind, but he may not be able to save me. This kind of feeling is terribly discouraging, and it can become an excuse to dabble in sin. I know that the Lord is ready, even anxious, to forgive each of us personally if we will but come to him. Another mistake is to believe that the atonement really only comes into effect at the very end, that is, at the time of final judgment. This line of thinking is, I know I should live the gospel, but I often fall short. I am just hoping that I will do well enough overall that at the end, the Lord will apply his generous mercy to me and I will get into heaven. While this thinking is not completely false, it is incomplete. It does include the fact that we must sincerely strive to do what is right, and it includes the idea that the Lord can, in his mercy, take away our sins. Yet who among us can afford to wait until the final judgment to receive the Lord's mercy and healing and help? I testify that the Lord hears our prayers and that he will make us clean and bless us with his spirit here and now if we trust in him and repent. All right, and then the third misunderstanding is a pernicious lie that goes like this. It doesn't really matter what I do. The Lord is going to forgive and save everybody. The Lord, of course, can and wants to forgive everyone, but a full measure of his mercy will only come with a complete and deep repentance. If we have not suffered, we have not repented. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said, Repentance of necessity involves suffering and sorrow. Anyone who thinks otherwise has not read the life of the young Alma or not tried to personally repent. In the process of repentance, we are granted just a taste of the suffering we would endure if we failed to turn away from evil. That pain, though only momentary for the repentant, is the most of bitter cups. So, once again, we need to remember that the atonement is meant for all of us. It's meant for us wherever we are in the journey. If we are really bad, if we have murdered a bunch of people, and we have 
committed a lot of felonies. The atonement is there for us and we can repent. We have the opportunity to learn and to grow from our sins. If you're running from the law because you've murdered a bunch of people, you still have time to come clean and tell the authorities and go to prison and serve your time and restitution and all of that stuff. Likewise, if you are baptized, if you are a covenant member of the gospel and you are striving to do your best, but you fall short at times, the atonement is there for you as well. You can overcome your sins and your misdeeds just as much as a person who is so far from the Lord, turned away from the Lord, that you can always come to the Lord and you can always have the blessing of the atonement. Exactly. Beautiful. So the third takeaway is very similar to the first in that justice and mercy do still have an important role to play. So while we do have a chance to be better, it's not as simple as just saying, hey, I'm going to do better. There is still a, a course that needs to be run. So back reference in Elder Cornish's Ensign article, he states, it is also folly to assume that we can premeditatedly sin, repent, and then have the Lord immediately remove all the natural consequences of our sins. When we choose to sin, we also choose the results of those sins. So there is still a process that has to be run through. Justice is those consequences. Justice has its place just like mercy does. Heavenly Father is not going to change who he is. And this plan has been set up so that there are consequences. We, It's, how, it's one of the ways that will help us to learn. This is just how life is. And I mean... Okay, we know that can get dark fast, um, but we do want to concentrate on how we do have mercy in place still with Jesus' help. So Elder Cornish references President Boyd K. Packer in his article, as he said, Through him, Jesus Christ, mercy can be fully extended to each of us without offending the eternal law of justice. This truth is the very root of Christian doctrine. You may know how much about the gospel as it branches from there, but if you only know the branches and those branches do not touch the root, if they haven't cut free from that truth, there will be no life or substance or nor redemption in them. So I, to me, it's a very important reminder that we have to understand the entire picture as we move forward. If you really want to be moving forward, you have to have a good understanding of the justice and the mercy that are in play. Redemption has to come through both of those. And our fourth and final takeaway is redemption requires repentance. I like that alliteration right there. Right? Um, it flows. Great. So everything has been done for us already. It's like we've already said, it's there for the taking as long as we're willing to actually do something. So Sister Linda S. Reeves says in her October 2016 General Conference talk, The Great Plan of Redemption, quote, a few months before President Boyd K. Packer passed away, general priesthood and auxiliary leaders had the precious opportunity of having him speak to us. I have not been able to quit thinking about what he said. He shared that he had searched backward throughout his lifetime, looking for evidence of the sins that he had committed and sincerely repented of, and he could find no trace of them. Because of the atoning sacrifice of our beloved Savior Jesus Christ, and through sincere repentance, his sins were completely gone, as if they had never happened. President Packer then charged us as leaders that day to testify that this is true for each one of us who sincerely repents, end quote. If we want to have the same effect and that same experience in our lives, 
we have to sincerely repent of the things that we have done in our lives. And I think it goes all the way back to the beginning of this episode when we were talking about that voucher, that coupon. If we want to get the discount, if we want to have redemption, we have to bring it with us to the store and we have to remember to give it to the cashier at checkout. Otherwise, we're not going to get that discount. If we want to have redemption, if we want to be completely cleansed of our sins and become holy like the Savior, we have to put forth the effort. We have to acknowledge that we have made mistakes. We have to repent of our sins. We have to seek retribution and restitution for the things that we have done wrong in our lives that may have hurt other people. And we have to do everything possible to give up those sins and never go back to them. And then once we have done that, we will truly have been redeemed and cleansed of our sins, and we will have no evidence of them in our lives anymore, just like President Packer shared. It's beautiful. Um, So basically, the atonement is incredible. We just need to reiterate that as much as possible. There is so much for us to learn from this, and we need to do our best to keep that knowledge and the truth in our hearts at all times. We need to be applying these lessons and these principles to our lives to continuously improve, to grow closer to our Heavenly Parents, to to take Christ's name upon us. I want to share another quote by Elder G. Todd Christofferson in his Redemption Talk. So he said, that while the most important aspects of redemption have to do with repentance and forgiveness, there is a very significant temporal aspect as well. Jesus is said to have gone about doing good, which included healing the sick and infirm, supplying food to hungry multitudes, and teaching a more excellent way. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So may we, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, go about doing good in the redemptive pattern of the master. This kind of redemptive work means helping people with their problems. It means befriending the poor and the weak, alleviating suffering, righting wrongs, defending truth, strengthening the rising generation, and achieving security and happiness at home. Much of our redemptive work on earth is to help others grow and achieve their just hopes and aspirations. It's so beautiful and i really love that reminder because as we continue to work on ourselves as we look to seek redemption and to apply the atonement to our lives we can be doing this by also helping others around us even if we're not missionaries teaching the gospel we can still be helping those around us we can be helping them through their suffering helping to right wrongs we can create happiness in the world around us whether we're at home at work or somewhere else I that last line just really gets to me. I'll repeat it. Much of our redemptive work on earth is to help others grow and achieve their just hopes and aspirations. It's a reminder that we have a responsibility to help those around us. It's amazing. And I mean, we've just been given a glorious gift. What we can do beyond helping ourselves is helping those around us. By setting an example of light and love and hope, we can bring others and help them find that through Christ. You know, that's something that we've been talking about a lot this year, specifically of the podcast. I mean, we started out this season talking about mourning with those that mourn and bearing other people's burdens and how that is our responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I love how you shared that quote by Elder Christofferson because truly the most important thing that we can be doing besides bearing others' burdens is to help them grow and help others grow and achieve 
their hopes and their aspirations and their goals. It's not so much that we can redeem others from their suffering and their burdens. It's that we should be doing this. This is something that we need to be doing and we need to be focusing on as followers of Christ. Like we obviously can't tell them like your sins are forgiven you and like we can't do that. We don't have that power. (laughs) But we can help them. Like if we know that our friends are suffering, we can encourage them to pray. We can encourage them to come with me to this activity or like let me be here with you while you vent about what's going on or like, hey, you know, I have been praying for you or I'm putting you on the temple prayer roll so that way you can have comfort during this time in your life. We should be actively trying to help people feel that love and that light and that hope that comes from the Savior. That is our role as disciples of Christ. It's not our job to judge people or to tell them that like, oh, well, if only you repent, you would feel better. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to extend the arm of love and mercy like Christ would if he was here. And if that means that one day along the road that they decide to repent, awesome. If it means one day along the road they decide that they don't want to repent, okay, cool, that's fine. But at least you are there for them and you are sharing that love that the Savior would do if he were here. Right, exactly. That's beautiful. We have a responsibility to do what we can, but as we re- as we said in the beginning, everyone has their agency. So everyone is going to ultimately do what they so desire to but we can still be using our agency to help support those around us as we we should be. We have a responsibility and that does not need to be pressure on us. It can be a beautiful opportunity to grow close to those around us. It can be beautiful rather than painful or stressful. So once again, thanks for listening this week, guys. We are so happy to have been able to go down this journey of studying more in depth the atonement of Jesus Christ and to be sharing our discoveries with all of you. Next week is our last week of the Atonement series. Oh no. Crazy. It's already coming to an end. I know. It's so weird. Next week, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. So we're going to be going in depth about that and how it's really the hope catalyst of the whole season of Easter. And we wanted to talk about that. It's going to be so great. I feel like we're going to spend half of it in tears. Probably. It's going to be beautiful, you guys. It's going to be beautiful. Just grab your tissues. So this episode will air just a few days before General Conference. We would like to invite you to think about what we've discussed over the last few weeks with the Atonement and see if you can hear any allusions and references to the Atonement of Jesus Christ in General Conference this next week. So listen for talks that reference the strengthening and enabling powers of the atonement specifically referencing the redemptive powers of the atonement and referencing like the week leading up to the atonement because we know that that's what we've covered over the last few weeks but we want to see if you are picking up on those things at conference because we know it's the easter conference so there should be a lot of easter like references this time so (laughs) see what you pick out and let us know when you find them please (laughs) and trust us we'll be looking for them too it's going to be awesome and amazing we're super excited absolutely we hope you enjoyed this tune in for the next one i don't know we will see you all next week (laughs) yes bye all right bye